0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this.
2: Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal
0: Hey guys, welcome to Media Matters. Um, that was um, awesome Trev Downey with the legends and you had the ragamuffins there now it's just myself. This is a first time experience for me. I had the full aspirations of, you know, celebrating the last game of the season, doing the live event with you guys. But when life gives you lemon, what do you do? You make lemonade. And today I have like three awesome guests with me. I'm quite excited about this one. They're going to carry me through this one. Um, you know them, they're familiar voices on um, ai pro and media matters as well first up i am delighted to be joined by my sidekick I'm doing a face-to-face kind of thing it's um, jim here james welcome
3: how you doing are you okay
0: i am so good and somebody that i've not spoken to in ages but hopefully we should be doing a podcast again it's our very own jim boardman jim how are you doing
2: i'm doing great thanks just uh, looking forward to this it's been good so far
0: it has it's been awesome and a guy that's pro at all these live feeds so i'm really counting on this one it is my super sub neil jones from gold.com how are you doing neil
1: not too bad thank you
0: okay guys so um you know uh today was meant to be that day you know last game of the last game of the season and you know we had so much planned so guys i want to get your thoughts on this first um First and foremost, what kind of day were you kind of expecting? You know, working in media, certainly yourself, Neil and James and Jim as well. Let us know. I mean, what were your kind of? How did you kind of envisage it?
1: Should we give James that one? James, James can take the first uh, the first pass okay. of the game there. Yeah, yeah. Do
3: you
0: know
3: what? Um, yeah, when he, well, this the, the past few weeks should have been like you know probably the busiest. Busiest time probably of all of our, our careers so far, and certainly the most exciting, and certainly you know, the biggest party I think this city probably had, had ever seen. Because I think I think you could have you could have taken what we saw in the aftermath of Madrid and probably times it by two in terms of um, just the significance of ending that 30 year wait for the title. So um, yeah, do you know what? it's been it's just been really surreal. Even you know think back to last weekend when you know, you sat there thinking, well, we should be at Anfield this weekend, watching Jordan Henderson lifting that trophy. Of course, this weekend fight should have been the final game of the season, should have been the parade. Probably a million people on the streets of Liverpool tomorrow. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, you know. of course, I think that the last few months have probably put into perspective for everyone that, um, you know, there's a lot more important things in life than football. But, um you know when, when when it is your passion, it certainly leaves a big hole in your your life when it's taken away. And certainly, you know, in, in terms of Liverpool, you know, it is um, you know devastated. Really, you know, there's no no getting away from it. The fact that um, being so close to something so significant that um, that it was it was taken it was taken away, and we're still waiting for it to come back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I completely echo that. And I think a lot of people kind of had that whole, you know, like for myself included, I was meant to kind of stay over at Liverpool and then do, you know, do the whole parade thing. I was meant to go with my friends. I was meant to do it with my sister and like to think about it that I've not seen her now in over two months. And this was just something that we just randomly planned that. Yeah, you know, it just felt so casual. I mean, guys, what I mean, Jim, I'll come to you on this one in terms of the city as well. I think, you know, James touched on a few things There, you know, the city's well, a majority of the city, the red half of the city have been waiting for this, you know, for quite a long time, 30 years. And, you know, I, I can imagine like the echo doing like massive spreads on this and, you know, just the whole city being absolutely buzzing. And, you know, it's it's kind of quite hard, you know, give, give you know, with everything that's happened that, like, you know, from Liverpool inevitably doing the whole, you know, the whole parade and everything. And we're sat here now and, you know, there's been a few murmurs in the press about, you know, null and void it and cancel the season as well. You know, just the, you know, just how things have just com- completely spun around. Yeah. I mean, your thoughts on that? It has
2: it has spun around, hasn't it? It felt yeah. like we were on, a, we were on this train. It was an unstoppable train, really. Um, we were, you know, even the most superstitious people like myself might not have said we're going to win the league. But, yeah, we, we thought it, especially as we got we got so close. Um, Europe w- was the thing we might have worried about or, or the FA Cup or other other competitions maybe. But for the league, we just seemed to be focused on it like a train that wouldn't stop. And, well, it got derailed slightly. Um, I mean, that's, as for the celebrations, when you think about it, they would have started like a couple of months ago, wouldn't they? They'd have been, you know, while we were on the lockdown that was probably more or less about the time we'd have been ready to start the celebrations and it wouldn't have, wouldn't have really stopped and I think it would have just culminated this weekend. Um, it, it, you know, it, it would have felt like, I don't know what state we'd have been in now, to be honest, we'd have probably all felt like we had a bit of a virus by now because we'd have been partying for so long. Um, but yeah, in, in the city, that that is the thing. And as you said, there are some, some parts of the city, some people in the city would have been kind of hiding and not feeling too good about it. But um, I think it would have been, it would have been like a holiday atmosphere um, and it's an atmosphere that's totally the opposite to what you see now. Um, if you do venture into the city now, it's just it's so quiet. Um, it, it's like Sundays used to be years ago when all the shots were shut, but maybe even quieter than that. Um, but it still feels like behind all those closed doors, there's there's um, we're all sitting there, aren't we, now? We're just waiting for that green light, however it's played, whatever happens, um, whether as an asterisk at the end of it or not, it does feel like we're going to win that league one way or another.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? You've kind of, um, you know, you've queued me in quite nicely for the next one. I'll come to Neil on this one. I mean, football's kind of resumed. I think all of us were pretty much fixed on the Bundesliga. I don't know if you guys were kind of like just excited to kind of watch some live football. And I think there was a lot of like negativity about it in terms of, you know, the lack of fans. I watched the Dortmund game, and obviously, as we all know, and I'm sure you guys have been to the stadium as well in Dortmund, that, you know, they're really, really passionate fans. And to see them play that Derby game, you know, behind closed doors. I mean, to, I felt like it was a bit of like, um, it was quite a comforting thing to watch, knowing that, hey, you can play football behind closed doors. I saw positives in it, given the circumstances. You know, there shouldn't be any fans. I want to get your thoughts as well. I mean, when football resumes, how do you see it going forward? Because I saw comments from like, the, the likes of Troy Deeney, and he makes a valid point about, you know, I don't want to put my family at risk. And you know he has genuine concerns. So I mean, I want to get your thoughts on this. I mean, and Neil, I'll come to you first on this one.
1: Yeah, well, I think the, the important thing to remember is this is the first. This is the first two days of football in the post-Coronavirus world. So you are you aren't going to get it perfect. It's not. It isn't going to be. You know exactly as it's going to look in three weeks' time, or six weeks' time, or three months' time, whatever. So I think the. I agree with you it, it was a comforting thing that you could just see it was on it was on the TV and it was it felt like a proper Saturday again didn't it for a couple of hours and you know mm-hmm. today you know Bayern Munich have been on and you've been able to watch that and it's it's just there's been a bit of normality to, to proceedings I would I would say that from an English point of view obviously they're a little bit behind in, in that regard and I think there's, there's still an awful lot of things to do before they can start thinking about you know even hosting games and, and putting games on but I think what they have got which is a, a big positive is they've got the the guinea pig if you like the, of the German league they can see what works they can see what maybe could be done a little bit differently i would argue there's definitely a, you know from a from a broadcaster's point of view i think there's a few things that you can do to make it a, a, a better experience for the for the viewer back home but there'll be things that they can learn along the way but um you know you watched, you watched Dortmund yesterday i watched them. Um, I sort of flicked between. So, watched the first half of the Dortmund game? I watched mm-hmm. sort of the last half hour of the Leipzig game yeah. and today I've watched the first half of the Bayern Munich game. You know, you can still admire good football. You know, whether, whether there's whether there's one person there, 50 people there or 50,000 people there, you can still admire good play and you can still enjoy watching a game of football. So, I think that was, that provided the comfort and I think the more that you know, fingers crossed now. Everything goes smoothly in regards to the, the post game tests and that kind of thing. And there's there's no there's no issues coming from there. You know, the more that that happens and the more that it shows people across the world that you can you can do it if you do this, this and this. I think it will uh, it will provide an even more comfort for the English game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And James, I come to you. I mean, you know, um, with regards to like Troy Deeney's comments and stuff. But, you know, I think people kind of forget footballers are human. And these are genuine concerns and I think he's absolutely valid to make them points. I mean, I'd like to get your thoughts on this as well. I mean, how can we make it more safe so, you know, players feel safe? I mean, I was kind of speaking to my sister about this yesterday and I thought, you know, these players, they've been in lockdown for so long. Maybe when they go to like a World Cup or a European, you know, when they do, when they're off on international GE or, you know, when they go off on pre-season tours, maybe we kind of keep them, you know, together as a team for quite some time and let them just kind of play their football so that way they're not they're not potentially putting anyone at risk and they can kind of keep it all together and I'm pretty sure their families are sick of them as well so it's a bit of downtime for them as well I mean that's how I would deal with the situation.
3: Yeah I think you know I haven't got a problem with these players speaking Mm. out and, and voicing their concerns because I think you know, footballers. You know, sometimes we kind of throw a blanket over footballers, don't we? As if they're, you know, they they should all think the same and have the same opinions and all the rest of it. Which I mean, it's only right that you know, so many people with so many different personal situations. You know, you hear about players who live with, with relatives who have got existing health issues, and you know, that's a that's a very very genuine concern in terms of you know the the the, the great greater risk of of potentially passing it on to to them. Um, but I think I think you know the the premier League I think I think certainly with the meetings last week f- from the the people I've spoken to that came away more, certainly a lot more reassured um you know it, it certainly wasn't the case of the Premier League saying this is exactly how it's going to be done. you have to fall in line. it was very much a this this is the protocol we're beginning to put in place. Tell us what you think, tell us your concerns. And we'll do everything we possibly can to try and alleviate those concerns. And um, I, I, th- I think the vast majority of players, and certainly you know, can only go on the the people that I've spoken to, seem seem relatively reassured and and happy to go back. And you know, the thing is, there's there's not going to be zero risk, is there? You know, if we wait until there's zero risk, then you know, the damage to football is going to be absolutely immense. And you know. It, you know, yes, the top clubs will will survive, but there's you know the, the the longer we go on without football, the more and more damage is going to be done right the way right the way through the pyramid. So, um, you know, I I spoke to someone today who, who said he said you know the reality is training grounds from from when they hopefully reopen, which you know the pre the, the the Premier League meeting is obviously on Monday. There'll be a vote with a view to you know the hope is that that Melwood will will be open for kind of short um kind of small i think i think they'd be in group working in kind of groups of four or five from wednesday onwards i think that's the hope as long as there's the green light tomorrow so it's still sticking with social distancing but um you know i think there's a strong argument that you know with all with all the health protocols in place that these training grounds are probably going to be a lot safer for players than than even going to the supermarket
0: yeah, absolutely. And Jim, I'll come to you. I mean, I kind of watched the game and I got really confused. You know, um, footballs a its a physical game. You know, it's a contact sport. And you know, what I found really bizarre was, um, you know, you could literally just kind of play. You know, assault people all game, but you couldn't celebrate with your team. Like to me, like I think there's going to be a lot of adjustment. You know, I think it was a very, very surreal experience watching it. I mean, how did you find it? You know, that whole you can't celebrate with your teammate and, like, maintaining social distance whilst you're actually playing on a game. You're playing, you're heading the ball, you're touching the same ball, you know, you're going in for tackles.
2: I think I think a lot of it is about they keep talking about reducing the risk don 't they so um, if, if you sit in a room with twenty people for two hours and one of them 's got the virus you 've got a good chance of catching it just because you 're in the same room if you if you sat with ten maybe you 'd be in the room that didn 't have the one and there 's all this all this talk about risk and and, and the fact is that as they say they 've admitted themselves you cannot remove the risk one hundred percent unless we all stay locked down in our homes and then in the end, that will probably be worse than actually getting the virus itself so I, I understand why they 're doing that, and I think I mean, in this country, we're talking about school kids going back at the beginning of June. If you can convince everyone that it's safe to do that, which, which is questionable. But if you can do that, if you can convince parents and teachers that that's safe, um, that will help with the football side as well. Because that means you've you've proven something that says, look, this is as safe as it's going to get. And it's better to do this than, than to not. And I think, I think people will, will get used to that idea. But as you say, it's going to be... It's Going to be with, with changes. So, in, in a school, you can only have 15 in a classroom, you've got a stagger start times. In football, there's going to be all kinds of changes. And it, it was, I think, one of my favorite photos from the weekend was all the subs. I think it was the Dortmund subs all lined up, so two metres apart, all on the so called subs bench that just seems to be like the whole end of one ground almost. The the spacing was so wide. But these are things I think, you know, as, as surreal as it is, these are things we're going to look back on. So, you know, in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, um our grandkids or whatever are going to look at these photos when we show them and say, um, wow, because I hope this doesn't happen again. I hope this is a one-off. It's never happened in my lifetime, mm-hmm. and I'm old. Um, I hope it doesn't happen again in anyone else's lifetime that's on this show now because it, it's it's not a good thing to happen. It's horrible. Um, but we will look back on it in years to come as a, as a special, um, if, if horrible moment, a unique moment that maybe resets things a little bit as well. Um, I can't imagine... I don't know, closed doors or not, if, if someone scores the goal that wins Liverpool, the league, I, it's going to be hard for them not to celebrate, isn't it? And what what's the consequence going to be if they do? Are they going to get a fine off the FA? I reckon everyone will just uh, chip in and pay it for them anyway.
0: Mm, absolutely. I mean, I'm quite looking forward to hearing, you know, Jurgen Klopp just screaming, you know, like we'll get a full-on, yeah, you know, audio, yeah. you know, clear audio of what he's actually screaming there from the touchline. I mean, you spoke about the Dortmund plan and um, players and kind of like socially distancing. I, I saw a video of um, the players at the end of the game walking around the stadium and a fake applauding the fans, which I found absolutely hilarious. You know, making the most out of them, um, you know, quite a dire situation. I've got some subscriber questions, so I'm going to run through them. Um, first one is from Steve P, Steve Pizza. And um, this question's for James and Neil in particular. And he wants to know... um. Um, how do Neil and James rate the media's handling of the current crisis in relation to football, pass, fail, or somewhere in between?
1: Okay. I'll go
0: to Neil first, because I've not heard from you in a while.
1: OK. Um, uh, the football media, you mean? So you mean the sports media's yeah, yes, handling? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, somewhere in between. I think I think it's the same across the board. I think, you know, some are doing a good job, others are doing... Others are doing less of a good job I would suggest um, I would say one of the big things as if I if I was to name gripes with, with the coverage of, the, of it I think one would be the sort of um, the focus the focus on the potential negative rather than the actual positive I think it is there's a skew in that regard so there's there's a lot of people who who seem to like to put out poor Obstacles in the way, rather than rather than focusing on potential solutions, you know, and, and ways ways past the obstacle. And I you know that that's that's probably a, a human trait in a lot of things, isn't it? You know, I think you find that outside the football. Or, you know, well, what if what if this happens, or well, what 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 we're going to do if if this this comes back? When you know, you can only really deal with with what's actually happening, and and then obviously you, you can react to things as you go. I mean, one of the things I have found is. The idea that, that it's being rushed back, the idea that football is being rushed back, people say, why Why have you got to rush it back, why have you got to rush it back, they don't realise that, that we're going to be talking, this is three weeks away, did the muted day for the Premier League, or three, you know, almost almost four weeks, and the world's going to be changed an awful lot, you know, you've we, seen already that every graph you see, fluctuations in, in, in every number that you see, so... We're not talking about football restarting right now, like that. Let's just let's just flick a switch and footballs back. We're talking about a gradual process of getting back towards it. So I would I would suggest that I think there's been a little bit of a a little bit of hysteria in some quarters as, as to the fact that it's it's coming back too soon. By by the same token, and I think the other thing I'll, I'll I'll pass on to James on this because obviously me and him are, are in a similar position where it's hard for us to write anything because you get that. You get the accusation of the agenda, the famous, you know, the agenda. But I do think there's been um, people too quick to dismiss issues as well as an agenda, rather than rather than actually looking and saying, "Well, actually, is it is it something to discuss, or, or is it just no? We won't listen to him because he's from Watford, or we won't listen to him because he's from Liverpool, he's from Brighton, wherever he's from Leeds." So I think I think the debate needs to be a little bit, or I would like to see the debate made a little bit more. Adult, if you like, and, and less down tribal, um, tribal roots.
3: Yeah, I think I think Neil's spot on. I think the the other thing that struck me, which you know, this isn't a criticism of the media at all. I think it's just it shows the reality of this situation, just how much kind of briefing that has gone on, you know, uh, off the record with various executives pushing various different agendas, and I, I think we have seen, you know, an awful lot of. Of self-interest at, at play, you know, I think you, you only have to look at, you know, the, there was the initial stuff, wasn't there, about, you know, Karen Brady was probably the epitome of that, with the calls for the, the season to be declared null and void, um, then we've had all the business with, you know, neutral grounds, and then, you know, it, we can't possibly then play at neutral grounds, and then, you know, that is now in the balance again, now we've had the stuff about, well, you know, should there be relegation, because, Talking about the integrity of the competition, and you know, you know, is it a level playing field? Because you know, we had to play them away, you know, in front of fifty odd thousand. You're going there to play in an empty ground. Is that fair? And so, you know, I and not many people in football have actually kind of, you know, you know, a few. You know, we talked about them before. You know, Troy Deeney. You know, I think Glenn Murray was another one. Probably the the Brighton chairman is. Has been quoted quite regularly, but you know a lot of a lot of the a lot of the things we've we've read have been you know executives um, and club officials wanting to push certain agendas um, without wanting to necessarily put their name to it. So um, and you know and I think that's still the challenge for the Premier League. I think that's you know that that's the thing that strikes me from all the coverage and all the different stories you see is trying to navigate. Their way through because you know every club is looking out for themselves and every club is looking for you know the ones at the bottom you know th- th- there was there was all the stuff wasn't there about the TV money that was the big thing initially you know we kept getting told you know th- the reason this season has to finish was because they'll have to pay back what was it seven hundred and sixty million pounds to the broadcasters and then and then we subsequently found out well they're going to have to pay back a significant a chunk of that anyway because the broadcasters aren't getting the product that they were promised in the contract so you know there's all there's all that kind of thing to work through and then for some teams down the bottom well they're thinking well you know the tv money although it sounds massive it's not actually as big to them as, as relegation which could cost you know you're talking hundreds of millions of pounds if you get relegated so um yeah i think that's the thing that's it's it's been relatively difficult I think because there's been a vacuum because there hasn't been you know we get the the on the record three four paragraph statement from the Premier League after every meeting but inevitably that tends to be quite bland I think it's it's always in the hours that follow that you get the the, you know the details emerge but of, of course it's um you know there's a lot of people pushing pushing their own ideas on this.
0: Absolutely. And sticking with you, James, I've got another question here for you. Um, it's from Steve W. And he wants to know, um, for James, on switching um, to the Athletic a year on, how has your journalism um, changed um, with, you know, the sort of longer pieces that you've been doing in, in comparison to, you know, your, your whole deadline stuff that you did for the Echo? I mean, so a year on, you know. I think yeah, 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 certainly. Way.
3: Certainly no regrets. Um, yeah, John, I must, I must admit, um, it's it's been a great year. I've really really enjoyed it it's very it is very very different there's no getting away from that I think Neil will know know well himself from from life at the end that you know when you're when you're having to write for what was it probably five or six different web spikes over the course of a of a day and um, you never really got much chance to to focus on anything before you were on to the next thing and um, you know you were you were judged on kind of web hits per day and um, you know, it was almost kind of like a, it felt like at times it was like an endless kind of production line of of churning out comment pieces that probably at times didn't need to be written. So, um, yeah, to go from that where you're doing five or six things a day to doing probably three a week has been a, a massive change. But, um, yeah, I'd say it's definitely more rewarding being able to do stuff in in more depth and, and in more detail.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people have been loving your sort of long pieces and I think they've been getting a lot of positive feedback and I feel like you're a bit of um, a Twitter darling now as well, you know, because you're not crushing transfer rumours on <laughs> social <I'm> media. <laughs> yeah, so, you
1: know. Oh, give it, give it 6 weeks. Give it 6. <laughs> give it six weeks. <laughs>
0: Honest to God, I kid you not, James has broken my heart more times than anyone on Twitter. You know, we lift up, and he's like, that's absolute rubbish, and I'm just there crying and comfort eating. I've got a question for all of you here. Again, it's from Steve W., and he wants to know, um, how do you all see the future of football journalism developing in the future? And um, Do you think it's possible for a lot of established media to break out the style of low-quality content written for advertising and sort of clickbaity stuff and jim i'll come to you first because i feel like there is so many clickbaity articles on you know the amount of times there's like a transfer rumor and somebody will say it's such a player i'll save you a link i'll save you a click you know like the comments underneath i want to get your thoughts on that do you think the quality will improve?
2: (laughs) i think it's going to have to because i think people people are wise to clickbait a lot more now um you you spot yourself, you feel that urge to go and press that button because you've read that carefully worded tweet or that headline or whatever and it it goes back to I mean you probably won't remember back in the eighties there was a, a thing on a thing called teletext and club call where you could pay um forty p a minute or something to listen to a phone line with transfer gossip which was basically nonsense it wasn't there, there would never be anything on it if you did listen and you get told off a uh, your mum or whatever for running up a phone bill it's, it's it's kind of the same um an
0: it,
2: it's just it's the same principle now and I just think people are wise to it and if you use a model like like you've seen in the athletic and um so you're paying a subscription which isn't isn't a fortune it's affordable you're not just getting the content on your own on your own team like anfield index again there's, there's a subscription i'm not just saying this it's affordable you're getting the content you want as as you do with you with netflix or, or other outlets like that um it, it's a way to get what you want without loads of advertising maybe a little bit to sort of um to just to supplement the, the money that's coming in But then you're actually getting to enjoy whatever it is That you're trying to consume in this case Content about football So I think over time it's got to um, It's got to improve um, there's some local newspapers now, and I won't mention any names, but they're, they're practically unusable because the amount of adverts and and the amount of stuff that's running in the background to try and present you with this page that your your machine, no matter how much of an ad blocker you've got, it's still fighting like mad to just try and show you one page. It's got to stop. So I think I think the quality will come through, um, and I think you know th- this is maybe the time when we'll start to see it because it's, it's now that the likes of uh, the Athletic are bringing memorable articles out that are important because um, journalism isn't isn't about really isn't about just throwing stuff out isn't just churning stuff out it's about going finding the story and, and telling the story and getting to the bottom of that story and, and sharing that with people and whether you're doing it as, as a fan because it's, it's your club or, or as a someone who covers one club because you you want you know that's your job to cover that club or whether you're doing it in, in general terms about football you've got to get to the bottom of that story that's what people need and yeah at the moment people just read stuff really quickly people don't have a lot of time a lot of the time but you know what they find the time when it's something worth reading
0: no, they do, absolutely. And Neil, I'll come to you on this one. I mean, it, I think Jim's made some really excellent points there. And I feel like people are getting smarter now. You know, the the, the consumer, you know, the, the people that read your articles, they're getting a lot smarter. And, you know, like the save you were clicking. I think people get really fed up of, you know, things that have been pushed by advertising or something that's quite clickbaity. I mean, how, how do you kind of keep the balance of, you know, keeping the advertisers happy as well as keeping, you know, your users your yeah. happy?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I do agree. People on Twitter are getting smarter to clickbait, but I think you, I think if you spoke to a lot of websites and newspapers, they'd tell you that the numbers for those kind of articles are still pretty high. So I don't think it'll change that dramatically until the numbers start to start to fall off and people don't read gossip columns and don't read you know the the rumor articles and that kind of thing. I mean, and I, I know from my time when I when I left the Echo, I know that. I know what the, the highest performance stories tended to be and they they were they tended to be of that ilk and it was a it was a source of frustration I'm sure it was for James as well it certainly certainly was for me at the time when you you you'd put a lot of effort into something and then look at look at the, the numbers and you know a rewrite of some quotes from there what's that what's that spanish website called uh, Don ballon is, it, is, that, is it that? yeah they they seem to feature all, um, yeah or transfer transfer Mercato or one of those one of those kind of uh, websites but at the same time, I think the biggest challenge now is going to come, obviously, because advertising revenue is going to fall. You imagine you know, companies are going to struggle, aren't you? Across the world, so that's going to filter into, into journalism. It's going to filter into advertising. So there's a big challenge for the industry as a whole. You know, one that I'm pretty sure I'll be involved in at some point because it's it's just the way it is. It's it's it was already a pretty uncertain industry even even before this, and obviously this is not going to help it. Um, in terms of where it can go in the future, I I I've noticed. I mean, I think one of the big things, the big trends to emerge, probably accelerated in lockdown and, and and definitely in the last 12 months. I would say is 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 players, athletes producing their own content. And I, I mean, I saw last night, you know, Raheem Sterling in conversation with Megan Rapino, You know, you're seeing. Stuff that goes on in America with people like LeBron James and and those kind of things, where they're 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 monetizing their their own brands without without needing to do it through ESPN or through you know Goal or whoever they want to they want to do. So I think you're going to find a lot of a lot of athletes and a lot of clubs wising up to that and looking for ways to exploit that in, in the in the coming years and months. So that'll be interesting to see because it's 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 another competitor isn't it into the industry when it's it's yeah. not just another it's not just another competitor it's it's the the talent as well within the industry so it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see just how uh, how high and how quickly that starts to grow.
0: Yeah absolutely James your thoughts on that I mean straight from the horse's mouth there you know like if footballers and you know athletes start producing their own content i mean there's you know another potential you know competitor for you know media in general so I want to get your thoughts on where do you think it'll move forward?
3: Yeah I, right. I mean it's changed absolutely massively in you know certainly the last 10 years but even the last five years when I think back to in my early days at the Echo when you could guarantee if there was, you know, a new manager was in the door the Echo reporter would be down there you know the, the day that the new manager started if a new signing was made the, you know that you know, you, you'd be there to to have that chat, you know, that's that that went by the wayside quite a long time ago. You, know, you had the advent of of club media, especially in terms of um, you know the club's own website and TV channel, and um, so yeah, it's become you know access in general has become a lot more difficult. And yeah, and you know as Neil said, where where before maybe a player would would look upon the mainstream media as like pretty much the you know the the only way really of, of of getting his message across to the fans if he wanted to say something now they've got their own platforms to to, to get it to the fans direct and also because it doesn't have to go through anyone else you know that it was it's exactly how they want it how they want it shaped and of course you know in a world that you know's obsessed with PR that's that's perfect for them rather than having to put their trust in a, in a journalist so um yeah I think it will it, the, the industry will keep on evolving and I think I, you know, I, I certainly hope that we'll see a, an increase in move away from the, the clickbait stuff which and it is it is difficult because I know I know for and Neil was right from our days at the echo the you know there was a big and I'm sure it's still there a big screen on the wall with with like a you know a and a constantly updating table of how many people are reading each article and it could be quite soul destroying because there'd be something up, up there, there you've spent three four hours five hours working on and spoken to various people and then there'll be a, a rewrite of a transfer rumor out of you know the daily star or you know god knows where of you know shock messy news rocks anfield or whatever and and there's 12 times more people reading that than than a reading something that you were quite proud of so and and when when the business model is dictated by clicks and and advertising revenues, you know, there, there's a balance there to be struck. But um, yeah, I think you know, Neil, Neil's produced some some fantastic stuff during during the lockdown in terms of it shows that you know you don't, you know, there, there's I think there is still big demand for, for proper for proper journalism, and um, it's just I think being brave enough to say, do you know what, you know, I, I don't want to do that kind of thing. I don't want to do the pointless comment pieces which involve. Fifteen hundred, thousand words that don't actually say anything, but just have a misleading webhead on them that draws people in, or clickbaity transfer rumours about players that, deep down, you know there's absolutely zero chance Liverpool are going to ever be in in for. Um, but it's just, you know, it, it's just having that belief, and you know, just the, you, you just hope that that people will we'll focus more on, on doing the the, the proper stuff because also I, I feel a bit sorry for some of the young people coming into the industry now because you know, that, that isn't, you know, that isn't certainly, I don't think why anyone gets into football journalism in the first place. You can't tell me that anyone comes into football journalism because they're wanting to write stories off players, Instagram accounts. You know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's an absolute nonsense stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the, um, Hopefully, you know, if people
0: stop clicking on it, then it will, it will stop. No, absolutely. I mean, I think for me as well, you know, if somebody's uh, like a journalist is really, really involved in like click-based articles, I feel like their integrity goes out the window. Like you're not inclined to read their pieces or take them seriously, especially when, say, one story is absolute bullshit and then you, the second one's bu- bullshit. So you just kind of think, well, why is the point of me even checking that out, clicking that out, looking at that website? Because everything that they write is absolute nonsense. So it. I think they kind of shoot themselves in their in, you know in, in the foot in the in the long run. Uh Neil, I'm gonna come to you, which kind of ties in quite nicely from Eddie, Eddie Gibbs, um AI pro boss. And he wants to know, we were kind of speaking about the future of journalism. Obviously, with your work at goal.com, you do a lot of video work. We speak about it a lot as well. You kind of promote your Facebook page and you do a lot of um video stuff. So uh Eddie wants to know, do you think um you know journalists are gonna be doing more sort of video work putting themselves more out there or do you still think podcasting and audio work and written journalism still has a bright future
3: yeah
1: i think i think there's a space for all of it yeah i, I mean i, I want to say is J- james mentioned the last 10 years and the changes i think i think the biggest change for me and i'm sure for james as well knowing knowing him and having worked with him closely is the, the amount of sort of different skills you've had to learn in the sense of you know the first game I did. So I'll give you an example. The first Liverpool game I could the Echo. I, it was a Saturday afternoon game, Saturday evening game, five thirty at Newcastle. I had until ten o'clock on the Sunday to write me piece for it for the Monday's paper. So you you can sort of sit and you can think about it. Within within sort of a year of that, you've got to you've got to do one for immediately. Then you've got to sort of. Do a more considered piece. Then, then within six months of that, you've got to do an, an on the whistle video verdict Then, then after a couple of months of that, you've got to do one at halftime. You've you've got to become almost polished as a, a TV presenter. You've almost, you know, you've got to have that sort of nature about you. Then you've got to host podcasts. You've got to learn how to sort of change your voice for for audio rather than video, which I'm sure you'll you'll know about. Obviously, the different the different styles of of, of presenting in that sense. Then you've got, you know, you've got your sort of your brand, if you want to you call it that, to maintain, and your social media—the way you interact with people—you've got, you've got to engage with people, but you've got to avoid sort of the, the you know, the controversial elements to it. Really, really, learn some really valuable skills, but also some difficult ones as well, because obviously me and I know James will be the same and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you know I met you know Jim when you when you first started writing about football that was what you were doing you were writing you're writing blogs yeah. about it you were writing articles about it and that was your that was your sort of what you wanted to do and what you were good at and all of a sudden you've had to sort of you've had to maintain that level but also bring everything else up at the same time you know and and become a an all-rounder in the industry and I think that's that's what you see now. I mean, there's a few, there's a few examples um, or exceptions, should I say, within journalism of people who are just writers and they are very good writers, and and you wouldn't, you know, you sort of wouldn't move them away from that. But you're seeing now. I mean, how many people? Twitter feeds, you know, experienced journalists who've been doing it for years, and they've got to they've got to learn these tricks. They've got to learn how to do these selfie videos at, at games. They've got to, you know, be the ones doing the web chats at the end of, of games. You know, James, James, you do one after every every Liverpool game, pretty much, sort of a Q and A where you're sort of like, you know, you're, you're like that quick fire. You finding answers. You know, you're not sort of you're not just waiting and, and, and thinking about your piece. So it it, it really is um, it really is a challenge, and I do think. I do think from a video perspective, I've I've done a a fair bit in the last 12 months with goal where they've been sort of documentary style. And that's a big, big trend at the moment, isn't it? In sports journalism, the the big documentary. And, you know, I'm sure we're all watching Michael Jordan at the moment. I'm sure we've all watched, you know, Barcelona and Leeds and all those other clubs that have done the fly on the wall. I think think there's a big trend towards that. And I, I can see... I can see it increasing, but to be honest, I can see everything else increasing along with it. So I think it's sort of the balance will always be there between written, between audio and between video. You've just
2: got to get better at, at all three disciplines. I've noticed my my daughter's actually at uni now she's so she's 18 she's well she's not at uni because nobody's anymore but she's doing journalism and she's got to do the video, she's got to do the radio she's got to do the written she's got to do infographics for the for the yeah. TV pieces that they do um she's got to edit it she's got to do all of these things now obviously that's good because they're going to teach you everything including shorthand still for some for some reason, um, they teach you all the skills, so you've got them. And later on, I suppose, you're going to cut some of those out. But the, but the truth is now that, that people do need them. I and mean, even when you watch the, the traditional TV news, like the local news, Granada reports, wherever, wherever you've got where, where you live, <clears throat> there would have been a time when there would have been the man in front of the camera or the woman in front of the camera. There would have been a cameraman, a sound man. A lot of the time now, it's just the, the person that you see in front of the screen is the person that's doing all of that and then going back to the to, to base later on and editing it all into a package that goes out at half six that night so you, you've got to you've got to be able to do all of those things now which I suppose is good for the younger generation coming through because they are being taught all of those skills and they've got to embrace them or they can't sort of sit there and think I don't really I don't really want to do this I'd rather just be a writer because I don't think you're necessarily going to get a job through, throughout your career where you can say I just want to be a writer
0: no, you're absolutely spot on, Jim. It was exactly the same for me at uni as well. You know, go out there, film your little um, news piece, bring it back, edit it, you know, everything, literally everything. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm not surprised at all that it is still pretty much the same. I'm still surprised that they make making this shorthand, though, because even then <laughs> it felt like a bit of a redundant skill. You know, you thought I can use my camera phone, I can, you know, I could do anything. I don't really, but obviously they're still teaching. I'm guessing it's T-line shorthand.
2: I'm not sure to be honest. I think it's line. She said, um, "I think it's the NCTJ or something like that to yeah. get the accreditation." They still want it, so that, there'll be some sort of elderly people like like the FA um, yeah. equivalents down in London somewhere deciding that you still need that. There aren't really. They don't venture out much, probably.
0: Madness, absolute <laughs> madness! And Jim, I actually do have a question for you, for you. And um, it's from hey. Eddie, and he goes. Um, Jim's obviously worked on both scales, mainstream media and, of course, you know, fan media here with us. Um, you do a lot of work with us, which is absolutely awesome. And he wants to know, what do you, what do you think, Jim, um, in terms of what the club could do to kind of get both on board? You know, we see a lot of mainstream media. What could the club do to get more fan media involved and kind of keep a happy balance? I mean, do, do you think they do good enough, in your personal opinion, the club?
2: Um, they they try to. I mean, I get emails off the club, so I get to to Ample Road to that to that yeah. website. Uh, but they tend to be PR emails, um, trying to tell me that you know some players have done a great thing at a local school, um, and then they tell you that you can use this video, but you mustn't you mustn't actually use this video. You must only embed the YouTube clips. And and then so straight away you start feeling This kind of like um, this sort of equivalent of like you know you're not quite allowed to have this. You can you can only borrow it because I, I can't see them saying that to. Um, so the Daily Mirror, for instance, like you must not um, take this video yourself that we've sent you on WeTransfer and put it into your own um, your own viewing thing. You know, you, you've just got to embed the YouTube. But I think as as fan media, we're, the, we're kind of the if you like, we're an extension of their PR department We're, we're as fan media, your your main thing is the club. So when Hicks and Gillette were Liverpool's owners, the last thing they wanted was to let fan media have anything to have anything to say, yeah. <laughs> because obviously we there'd be nothing good to say. Um, and there's probably been times under FSG when they would agree the same, like the thing over the ticket prices, um, the thing over furloughing recently. The last thing they want then at that moment in time is fan media. But on the other hand. I don't know. I think if you're a genuine owner of a club, and FSG scene to be, you want you want to do the right thing by the fans. You want the club to last. You want the players to be good, um, and you want the fans to be happy. And it, any money they make should should sort of almost come as a result of all those other things. Get those other things right. So, so getting fan media on on board, I think yeah, they could do more. Um, I think on the on the TV channel, why not why not show some content made by fan media? Why not have um, Red Men TV, for instance, doing. You know, one of the shows they've done adapt one of those and get that on LFC TV. Um, they they could do. Um, they could definitely get Anfield Index, on, Um they could start doing podcasts, uh, promoting podcasts. Um, you know, helping spread the word of Liverpool. Um, because at the at the end of the day, the mainstream media don't support Liverpool. Even though, though there are Liverpool fans working for the mainstream media, they're not bothered about Liverpool's image. If you get fan media on board, you get more of a voice that's basically backing club and all of the clubs could try this um, and I would imagine some are already thinking of that because there are some quite forward thinking clubs but I'm not knocking the club the media's come on such a long way since Liverpool were the last club to get even a website so um, it, it's not doing too bad compared to how it used to be
0: no, it's not. And Jim, I'm going to stick with you because I've had these two on, um, on my show in the past um, whilst we've been in a sort of lockdown. And we I kind of had a little curveball for them. Well, a little question in terms of which Liverpool player would they like to be in quarantine with? So I'm going to run some stuff by you. Yeah. Um, James uh, wants to be in quarantine with uh, Joe Gomez because he's a, he's a lovely person. Neil wants to be in with uh, Ginny Rinaldin because... Insta, you know he'll take great pictures right and you know you'll give him fitness inspiration, <laughs> Definitely. I would get in with James Milner because he would do all the awful boring tasks around the house, here is a visual representation of my life right now, this is my mic he would, he would fix that for me, my life is an absolute mess right now at home so Jim, which Liverpool player would you be in quarantine with and why?
2: I think off the top of my head I think, I think Andy Robertson for his energy um, I think he's funny he, he makes me laugh so much on those videos that he's done um whether whether we'd need to sort of do some zoom calls with Trent to get the proper bands to go I don't know uh, but he is funny the energy of him um you know like you're saying James Miller get all the boring little sort of tedious jobs done out the way you know what I'm not bad at doing them if I really have to I can put up with them but more, some of the more energetic stuff I know he'd, he'd mow the lawn for us wouldn't he you know we do all that kind of stuff so um so yeah he's funny um he's energetic and you know I, I think he would be good to have a, as a house guest.
0: Nice. Okay, then. So we we've got some we've got some good um, quarantine um, uh, football buddies there. Okay, um, I've got a question here from Eddie it's for all three of you, and I would like James to answer this one first. And. Um, with the 3 p.m uk blackout um, rule removed as a result of uh, the pandemic would you like to see this continued um going forward after the crisis um uh, you know with regards to Premier League football when the next season resumes uh so J- james i will come to you first on this one uh
3: yeah personally i would yeah it, it's it's always struck me as a bit of a a bit of a strange out outdated one I'm, you know, I, know, I know i know why why it's why it was put there and why it's been there for so long in terms of um, you know trying to trying to not put people off actually going to matches. Um, but no, I, I just think you know, I, I don't think it would have any impact really on on attendances and you know how many people really. You know if if it's if Liverpool are playing at Saturday three o'clock, are there really that many people that you know if they can't watch it on TV, they end up going somewhere, you know, going to another ground and supporting a, a lower division team. I'm not sure that, that 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 really happens much. I think we all know that, you know, even, even though there's been this clampdown in terms of uh, on pubs in the city centre, showing games on, you know, foreign streams at three o'clock on a Saturday, you know, you could, if you're on a laptop, you can still find a way to watch a game at three o'clock on a Saturday. And I, yeah, I, I just think, you know, as well, the, the clubs are missing a trick there in terms of, in, in terms of that, those are games that you know, should be televised, and and we'll, you know that, there's the opportunity there to sell sell those games as another as another package of of TV games. So yes, I've never really understood more and more in recent years, especially when you speak to people in the states and you hear about you know the way that it, it's set up over there that you know they can watch any game they want at three o'clock on a Saturday. Uh, it seems wrong to me that that fans in this country don't have that same luxury.
0: Absolutely. And Neil, I'll come to you on this as well. I think James has just hit the nail on the head, the amount of time we've all all been guilty of it. You know, the three o'clock kickoff. if you're not at the game, it has been not a very good stream, let's be honest. And, you know, I think we've all been there. Um, I want to get your thoughts on that as well. I think it'd just be so much more beneficial if, you know, it was legally kind of broadcasted and, you know, people weren't kind of going off.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, we can't pretend that people... Idea to the three pm blackout. Can we? They, they they find ways around I mean, I am probably one of the weirdos to be honest. with you. I? I just don't watch games on stream. I just can't do it. I just don't like. Don't enjoy. It. I'd rather listen to it on the radio or not, or just not watch it. You know, follow it on Twitter if if needs be. But I mean, most people. Most people. Would go to the go to the pub and find it, you know, and you know we've all seen, I'm sure we've all seen the the, the, um, the dodgy Norwegian channels or being sports coming up and the the, the, uh, the landlord trying to get trying to find out which which one it is and all that. But at the same time, I think I think what I'd say about about the change in the black hole, I think there's a way to change football as well in, in the sense for the better. So, like James said, if you can sell an X block of games, well, let's see, let's let's. Let's drop some of that money down the pyramid then to some of those those clubs that need it. Let's 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 allow you know let's say Liverpool. So you know just take Liverpool and Everton as an example. So Tranmere be one, but you've got Southport, you've got Skelmersdale, you've got Burscough, you've got Marine, City, of Liverpool. All these clubs that need people through the gates. Well, let's let's drop them a bit of money so that they don't need them quite as much but all they're able to bring ticket prices down or whatever that they're able to do it just it just helps them of course even more so in the, this time and also I, I mean i'd love to see football on on terrestrial tv uh, and free to air and, and advertising it and you know showing all right it won't, you're not going to get liverpool v man city on on bbc but you might get you might get aston villa against you know i don't know <laughs> i can't even think of another <laughs> premier league club norwich <laughs> aston Villa against norwich yeah but it, it's something isn't it and you've seen from, you've seen from the Bundesliga that when when that's on people will watch it you will get a good audience on on the bbc you might not be you might not be 60 million people there might not be 20 million people but you'll get a good audience and it will it will promote the game in the way that the the broadcasters want so i would like to see a couple of couple of those things brought in i think i think this is the first ever. think it's the step that people have been waiting for, isn't it? For the three PM blackout. Probably not the circumstances anyone envisaged it, but I think people wanted this, and I've been calling for this for some time. But I'd like to see it used in the right way, and not just become a um, you know another another vehicle for Sky and BT to just grab the um, grab the game a little bit tighter. I don't
0: know what Neil's complaining about. There, I love watching Liverpool games without a bit commentary. You can't be it. <laughs> it's brilliant. You know, like. Everything just is so exaggerated. Uh, Jim, I'm going to come to you um, on on the same question as well. I mean, I think Neil and James are both absolutely spot on. I love the fact that kind of Neil mentioned, you know, terrestrial television and football. I mean, I have like some of the best memories watching Champions League football on ITV, you know. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, when you look at the amount that we're kind of paying towards Sky and BT and all your subscriptions, a lot of people can't afford, you know, football. They can't, which is why they have to kind of go off to the whole streaming side of things, not even the three, not even the three PM kickoffs. You know, just in general. So, yeah. I mean, your your thoughts. I mean, I think that's a, I think it's a sound idea. I think it kind of brings on the working class element of the game.
2: Well, I think I think a lot of these reels came in when um, there was a time once when it, if if match of the day would show say three games, not not all the games were even filmed, never mind uh, shown. Very few were shown live. Match of the day might show three games on a Saturday night. And if word got out about which games were on the match of the day, that would actually hit attendances that, that people would not go to that game um, because it was on match of the day that night and they could kind of avoid the score all day and watch it as if it was kind of live at 10 o'clock that night. Um, and also at, at the beginning of sort of ITV and BBC getting live football on terrestrial television, so going back to before the Premier League, they had to pay compensation if the attendance was lower than the average for the season because people would actually. You know, people would miss, would stay at home rather than watch the match because there's so many could watch it now because it's on ITV or, or BBC. And I think when you think about three o'clock kickoffs now, you haven't got that kind of audience because people can't just switch it on in their own homes. They've, they've got to do, as you say, go to a lot more of effort, uh, a lot more effort to get it. And if we did start allowing three o'clock games to be shown, maybe on club's own um, TV channels, if you like, or, or, or over the internet that way, um, or whether it was on pay TV. Um, yeah you do have to pay for it and as you say i think that's a brilliant idea from neil that let's let's filter some of that money down um you know let's work out what what do the clubs really think it's going to hit their attendances by the best way to maybe measure that is to actually when you get it in um make an estimate up front but when when it's actually happening let's see if the attendances do go down um i don't think they would i think i I went to a lot to a lot of games at Tramir for a couple of seasons um doing some stuff with them and the, the fans that are as passionate as any other fan. Um, there just aren't as many of them, unfortunately, because they, they were playing so low down. I think they were non-league at the time. Um, but those fans are going to go. They don't care what's on the telly. They're going watching their, their team. Um, and and maybe, maybe what we could also do is every so often the three o'clock kickoff could be, on terrestrial television, could be a Tranmere game or somebody like that so they can get that wider audience and maybe recruit some supporters. Because... I think some of the smaller clubs, that, that is what they try to do. They try to recruit fans who maybe have a first team as a bigger club, but can't get in. I mean, it's so hard to get into Anfield now, as you know. Um, and Tram for one example. will kind of say, look, you can't, you can't see Liverpool. Fair enough, we're not Liverpool. We're not Everton. Um, but we're still football. Come and watch us. And again, this would be way of promoting that. And I think that the key thing of all of this, all that we're saying here, is all the different leagues and all the different clubs actually working together. You know, be competitive on the pitch, but off the pitch... We need to get more collaboration.
0: No, it's fun. look at us—you know, putting the wrongs right <laughs> of modern-day football. Look at us providing a service, right, guys? Thank you so much for watching Media Matters. A massive thank you to Neil, James, and Jim. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. There's still plenty of more awesome, awesome shows coming up for you guys, so keep it locked on here on on our live feed. And I am going to hand you over to the Ragamuffins with their tribute to Minamino. One, two, three, TO HEY
3: I'm just